Wait, I have a really funny intro to do for the thing. You want to take take it away? Yeah. <laughs> well, you'll see. You'll see. Oh, like like just for when you say your name? No, like don't. I'll start it. You will start it. Do you know what to say? Yeah. Do you have the text in front? No, of you? I won't. I'm not gonna say the actual text. You'll just see. Is this it? <laughs> you guys ready? Is this, is this intro in the room with us? No, right now? no. Are you, are you guys ready? I am yeah, ready. Yeah, yeah. I'm just waiting now. Okay, guys, who am I? Ah! Oh my God, are you are you Bo? <laughs> yeah. You yeah. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> okay. Uh, hey guys, what's up? Listeners? <laughs> that was a terrible intro. This is gonna suck. What's up, listeners? Welcome to Predator vs. Movies. Woohoo! Uh, I'm Alex. I'm Peter. I'm Aiden. And we're not sure? afraid. Are you afraid? Oh, oh I am Bo and I am afraid. Exactly. <laughs> and this is the podcast where we discuss and review the latest movie releases. We're going to start off with a non-spoiler review before diving into a deeper discussion of the film. And then we're going to ask the most important question. Would this movie be better if the alien from Predator was in it? This week we're going to be reviewing Bo is Afraid, previously known as Disappointment Boulevard by Ari uh-huh. Aster. Uh, before we get into it, we have news, I guess. Um, yeah. Based on the success <laughs> of the Mario movie. It's doing very well uh, financially. Uh, some guy who Aiden knows the name of. Uh, oh, I don't. <laughs> oh, you said shit. it to me. You said it to I me. I did like say it, but I was reading ago. when I said it. Oh, no. Okay. So some guy, like just a random guy <laughs> on the street. I think it's asked, a big like, Nintendo guy. <laughs> I mean, or it could be just like some guy. They asked yeah. him, and he was like, yeah, we're going to do the Nintendo CU. They're going to make a whole bunch of Nintendo. It's Miyamoto. Movies. Miyamoto is going to yeah. make a bunch of this random guy named Miyamoto, no connection <laughs> to Nintendo, is going to make a bunch of Nintendo movies. I don't know if they're Mario yeah. specifically. Probably. But also, I I would not be surprised if they do like a Mario Zelda. Zelda yeah, whatever the hell's that, and then like leading up to a Smash Bros. movie, which would Smash be Smash Bros. Is the, is their Avengers Endgame? I think. Yeah, that's that sounds about right. Or actually, more accurately, it would be their Secret Wars, which yeah. is where also unfortunately Marvel is going towards as well. Um, what would you guys want out of a Nintendo CU, if anything? I. I wouldn't. I wouldn't want that, <laughs> yeah. to be honest with you. No like thanks. Like, I love the Zelda games, and I think they should stay that way. The games are really good. They don't need to be movies. Mm. Like, that's pretty much how I feel about it. You don't want a Fast and Furious Mario Kart? If they do something that's really goofy like that, actually, maybe. Like, if, if it was something that was, like, really dumb... And they were adapting, like, Mario Kart or something, and they just made it, like, a... Yeah, like, a Fast and Furious movie. Like, that might be okay. But I don't want to see anything like what the Mario movie was. Yeah, that spawns two ideas in my head. One is... I don't know if you remember, but after the success of the Lego movie, they were going to do a whole bunch of spin-offs. One of them being a racing movie that never happened. So that actually yeah. is kind of like... They tried it before. Um, and the other idea has vanished from my head. But, like... I don't think that the Nintendo people have the creativity to, <laughs> you know, like, and I don't think it's that they, they lack creativity. I think it's more that they are so, they're playing it so safe. Like, yeah, they're not striving to be creative. Yeah, No, they're trying to be, like, as generic as possible. It's very much what happened with um, Black Adam, 
really. Just trying to go mm. for the safest, middle-of-the-road, boring option there is because it it should work, right? And it, it sort of does, at least financially. So good for them, I guess. I still think, based on where the Mario movie ended and like what it did, I think they can still do what we were pitching as what it should have been for the first time, like a Mario and Luigi movie. That's yeah. very much on the table from where it ended. Now they're both in the Mushroom Kingdom, and like you can actually explore that brother thing and build off yeah. of what happened in the last movie and pretend it didn't happen, maybe. <laughs> yeah, if they write the second one as if the first one didn't happen, that's the ideal scenario, I think. It's very Evil Dead 2, which is... I don't know if you guys have seen that one. I've but never seen any of them. Evil Dead... It's called Evil Dead 2, and it's literally just the first one again. They just <laughs> did it again, and with a, a slightly bigger budget and a little sillier. It's, it's very interesting. That's Anyways... Fun. We are actually skipping the trailer park this week because there yeah. were no trailers that we found interesting enough to talk about. That, that is good news for me as the owner of the trailer park, and I don't have to have these guys whipping around on their oh, motorcycles right. shooting their guns in the air anymore. Get a peace and quiet for once. Yeah, that's a yeah. callback. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's the lore. You gotta listen to the other episodes. <laughs> Anyways, Aiden, we watched a movie this week, and there's some information. Information. We sure did. So we watched a movie known as Bo is Afraid. It was directed and written by Ari Aster. That's a weird order to put those words in, Alex. It should be written and directed. It was starring Walking Phoenix. <laughs> I'm starring going by Joaquin. the Wikipedia order. It's <laughs> okay. Yeah, whatever. We're uh, starring Joaquin Phoenix, uh, Patty Lupone, uh, Nathan Lane, Amy Ryan, uh, Stephen McKinley Henderson, Parker Posey. Uh, the DOP was Powell Por- Pogorzelski. Um, <laughs> Powell <laughs> Powell Poggers, as he's uh, known in the industry. Yeah. Powell Poggers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's a there's a whopping runtime of two hours and fifty nine minutes. Maybe we're continuing the long movie trend of last year. Oh, and then budget was thirty five million. That is facts, as they say, also in the industry. Um, now we usually play this game, and sure this do. game is called Predacritic, and it's based off of. A, uh, a website on the internet uh, called Metacritic where critic scores of a movie are tabulated out of 100 and if it's 60 or above it's green, if it's 80 or above it's labeled a must see if it's uh, if 60 to like 45 or something it's yellow and if it's below that it's red we are going to guess where Bo is Afraid landed we in that metric are. and unfortunately Ooh. I am going first it seems um this is honestly a tough one, and this, this is, is why I don't want to lose. I'm actually somewhat comfortable with the range that I'm going to guess in. Okay. So, I think this one seems to be controversial. I think some people are going to hate this movie, and I think some people are going to like it. I don't think anyone's going to love this movie. So, I'm pretty comfortable guessing... I don't know, somewhere around, let's say, 63. That's where I'm going to land. Mm. Uh, next up is Peter. Ooh, um, I get to go last. Ooh. I'll say 62. Oh, yeah. 
No, I so I'm going through. I agree with you guys. I agree with your uh, that the '60s is exactly what I'm thinking. I think that some people will love this. I've actually already seen some reactions where people, some people are saying like this is Astor's best film. As the Joaquin's best work too. As the only person who has seen (laughs) Harry Astor's movies in this, I've seen Midsummer. You saw Midsummer. I don't know. I don't know where I'd rank this right now, but. I don't, I, I don't, but the point is, like, I think a lot of critics hated this. I think, yeah, so I think it's in the 60s. I think it might be above a 63, so I'll go 64. That was a bad choice, because uh, that actually puts you in last place. Peter Fuck. wins, guessing it on the mark, only because Damn. he piggybacked af- off of my guess, really. Um, but, um, <laughs> yes, yes, uh, Bo was afraid got a 62. I think that is a yeah. perfectly a- adequate mark. I think that Oh, my of- God. Aiden, I feel Ty. so bad for you. Damn. The, actually, the synopsis really is not going to be tough. It's, it's not going to be easy to do. I actually would wager that not an incredible amount happens. <laughs> not a lot in this happens <laughs> in three hours. Yeah. That, that's true. That's true. Okay. Like, um, so. Yeah, okay. I'll, I'll try it. But anyway, we, we do. I'm forgetting the order. Did we do, first, we do non spoiler reactions first, right? Yeah, before we spoil the entire movie, we do, <laughs> do our non spoiler reaction. Yeah. So, uh, Peter, because you uh, won, I guess, um, you do get to start with your non spoiler reaction. So, take it away. Okay. So, so, before I get into it, I have to quick disclaimer. So, oh, no. I didn't really like the Joker. I didn't. Okay, and you'll see why I'm. <laughs> this is a great disclaimer. I actually like this now. Keep going. So, so I didn't like the so Joker like, either. You got. So like, I don't. I don't think a lot of people say Joker is a bad movie, etc. Like I don't think necessarily it's a bad movie. It's just I do. It doesn't align with what I enjoy from movies. Like when movies, like like I think certain movies are designed and built in a way where it's supposed to make you feel a certain way. And sometimes when like these emotions just like it's just extremely down, depressing or, uh, you know, just like intense type of movies, I don't really get a lot of enjoyment out of them. And that impacts like my personal subjective score for the movie a lot. So I think I think Bo is afraid, at least to me, is that type of movie. Like it's a movie where you're just thrust into a guy's life with like anxiety ridden situations happening again and again and again with no breaks with just like uh, well except for like a like a certain scene in act two where we sort of caught a break there but it's just endless anxiety ridden situations in this guy's already very anxiety heavy life so like already like subjectively i wouldn't enjoy that type of movie and on top of that the plot is actually layered in a way that's, you know, supposedly factoring in that type of uh, unreliable narrator energy. Sort of, uh, you know, you can't really trust everything you see. Um, so, like, plot-wise, is also very confusing to me uh, while I was watching it. So, honestly, I don't think this movie is for everybody. I wouldn't recommend a lot of people to see it. I think it's an interesting movie to, like, if you're interested in cinema and, like, want to explore the different types of movie, this is definitely one that to see, like, a unique side of cinema. But I personally didn't like it, and um, I gave it, I think, two and a half on Letterboxd, not because I think it's a bad movie. I think creatively it's very unique, um, but it's just personal enjoyment-wise. I didn't get anything out of the movie, so... Um, 
that's my review. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, Fair enough. Yeah, okay, so as the second closest guesser to the score, I, I will deliver my non-spoiler reaction next. Um, Bo was afraid. Yeah, um, it's long. It's really long. And I'm I'm usually a proponent of long movies. Like when people say like, oh, Avatar's three hours or oh, Babylon's three hours. Like I'm like, okay, cool. If that's what the filmmaker wanted, like I'm usually very supportive of that. This is the other version of that where I think some restraint would have been appreciated. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this movie is just kind of like it's subtext turned into text, really. It's just someone's therapeutic nightmare. And maybe someone enjoys that. Maybe that's what Ari Aster likes to watch. But personally, I was just getting like really tired of it pretty quick. Um, I think it's kind of repetitive after a while. Um, which is why, again, I think some restraint in the editing. And like this could have been a two-hour movie. I don't think a three-hour Odyssey was what... Like, I don't think the filmed material and the script supported a three-hour runtime. I think there's a, you know, a universe where you could have made a three-hour version of this, but I don't think they did. Um, I think it has its moments. I think there's some comedic parts to it. Not enough, (laughs) if you ask me. It's definitely leading into, like, the nightmarish, kind of surrealist um, drama. It's it's more of that than it is a comedy or a black comedy. Um, but, you know, there was there were moments where I was laughing, and um, my audience... It was, it was bigger than I would have expected. You know, it was a late showing on a Thursday, but um, it was very quiet. <laughs> like, mm. like, so quiet that sometimes there's jokes, and I would, like, kind of, like stifle my laughter because i was the only one making noise (laughs) and the movie itself is so quiet for like most of the runtime i was brutal anyways um yeah i just like really didn't care for this um i find the archetype of like unreliable narrator and like impotent protagonist are just kind of like exhausting to be with especially after three hours where it's just Bo being like, ah, 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 you know, he's not, he's not really doing a lot. Um, and the, the whole, like, is this real? Is this really happening? Kind of question that is like the whole foundation of the unreliable narrator archetype. I just find completely uninteresting because like clearly the filmmaker is trying to throw you off and there is probably no real answer. So I, I find those kind of questions futile. Anyways, um, yeah, so I didn't I didn't really enjoy this, but uh, not like the worst thing I've seen. I think, you know, Ari Aster made like a competent movie otherwise, if that makes any sense. Like I think he, he directed it decently, like well-ish. So better than some other stuff. So I don't know. I would give this maybe a two and a half or a, Probably not a three, just based on enjoyment. But um, yeah, no, I don't think I would recommend people go see this because if I didn't like it, I don't know who is, you know. Uh, Aiden, you get so, to go next. 
Yeah, I, I'm coming in from an interesting position here. I'm coming in as someone who's seen both Hereditary and Midsummer and did not like either movie. And so I was going to this movie, like, quite frankly, with hater energy, being like, this is, I don't, I'm yeah. not going to like this. And yeah, lo and behold, I kind of have the same lukewarm reaction, where this is like a two and a half star movie for me. I think that it does some interesting things. But I also think that, like, it's it's we'll get into this but i think it's it is repetitive and i think it's also a repetition of things that ariaster has already done and i would say in a more interesting way in other movies even even though they're movies i don't like i think he's kind of done these things better in other movies um i will say there are a few things i disagree with that with what you said like you guys keep saying unreliable narrator and i don't know if that's entirely accurate like Joker is trying to do the unreliable narrator thing and it's stupid there. Like, and it's trying to get you to question, is this, did, did what happen? Is this real? I don't think this movie is doing that. I don't think it's asking you to question whether or not things are real. I think it's, this is a surrealist reality. It's based off this person's subjective experience. This is what you're taking in. I, I personally found that at no point is the film begging you to be like, wait, did that actually happen? I, I don't think that's a part of the movie. So I, that was actually something I enjoyed about it, was the representation of subjective reality, although overbearing, repetitive, and not necessarily as layered as I think it needs to be, or as, as Ari Aster thought it was, I guess. Uh, I also disagree that there's not subtext in this movie. I actually, one compliment I will pay this movie as well is that I think you could go back to this movie two or three times and pick something new out each time. Um, but I'm frankly not interested enough in it to do that, just based off what I've seen. What I have gleaned from this movie, I don't think is super compelling. I think that this movie does waste a lot of time. I think I completely agree. It should have been. It's not three hours. It should have been cleaned up in the edit. We'll get into that. Um, yeah, I gave this two and a half stars, and I think some people would love this. That's the other thing I I disagree with. Like there are people we know, Alex, that I I think will see this and will love it. Um, but well, whatever. So I, who, I personally don't recommend this, but who, who um, do you think? Like just about their name. Mm, maybe. Yes. I don't know. He definitely. He would. You think? Okay. I think he would. Yeah. Well, if you're out there, <laughs> go check it out. <laughs> um, uh, sorry. Were you continuing your... Let, let him no, finish. that's it. Are you done? That's it. You're done? Okay. Yeah. Done. Yo, before we move on to the uh, the uh, the spoiler part, I want to touch on the unreliable narrator part. I think it's more about how, like, surreal the reality is that like, you think yeah. this is unreliable narrator. Like, that's my experience going into it. I was like, like, this is no way this is happening, right? And then, sort of, partway through the movie, you... Like, like, I think that point is you can't tell because everything is so crazy. You can't tell what is actually happening and what is not because it, like, it gives you a sense that it might be happening, like, it might be set in our world, but then as the movie progresses, you sort of question that more and more. I think that is the unreliable narrator point that I want to get across. Yeah, just, like, it might be a misnomer. Like, it's not technically an unreliable narrator. Like, like it's more the surrealist thing. But, yeah. for example, when his, like, this is really a spoiler. When his keys go missing and his mom over the phone is like, did you really lose your keys? I'm like, I don't care. <laughs> you know, like I, that's... but again, I, I think we're, we're reading that moment very differently. I saw that completely as just a character moment of his mom doesn't trust him. 
and his mom yeah, his agreed. mom thinks that he doesn't want to come. Well, I yeah. I did not see that as the filmmakers asking us did that actually happen. Mm-hmm. I think it's the kind of thing that video essays on YouTube will like do deep dives on like what really happened in this movie though. You but know, I hate like, that's but that's like that's them. Like that's not the movie. Sure, really. yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyways, whatever. Um we have a spoiler warning now. Uh, so, Aiden, as the unfortunate loser yeah. of the game, you have to tell us what happened in this movie in sure. two minutes, which is probably what this movie should have done, too. <laughs> <laughs> um, whoa, roasted. Uh, are you ready? Yeah, I think so. Okay, here you go. Three, two, one, let's go. Okay, so we open in a therapist appointment where we're introduced to the idea, like, Bo has a mom and she's kind of mean. Uh, so Bo goes home and he's supposed to visit his mom, uh, and but he sleeps in because his neighbor, there's a whole thing with his neighbor, it doesn't really matter. Um, but he loses his keys and he loses his luggage, and so he isn't able to go, he calls his mom, uh, and mom is like, fuck you. Calls mom later, uh, once again, turns out she is, a UPS guy answers the phone and the mom has allegedly died by getting uh, decapitated. So Bo... Oh, fuck, how does he get to the next place? What happens? <laughs> oh, shit. He gets naked. He's he gets naked. Oh, yes, yes, yes. There's a whole thing with, like, a bathtub. There's a guy in his apartment. He gets naked. He runs out of his apartment. He gets hit by a car, and then he's taken in by this surgeon and his wife. He's in their house for, like, 30, 40 minutes, at, or at least that's what it feels <laughs> like. Um, like, it, like, and he just kind of hang out. The daughter's kind of mean. The daughter drinks paint and dies. There's also a military guy that uh, chases him out once the daughter dies because the mom has turned on him. He goes into the woods where he finds this theater company who are, like, all orphans or something, and they do this play, and there's this other extended sequence where it kind of goes through this plot that loosely resembles what we've seen in the movie but also things that haven't happened. And then Bo's like, oh, what? Then Bo thinks he sees his dad, and then his dad gets blown up. Uh, and then the military guy comes out and then he shoots himself in the shoulder. Bo runs away. Uh, Bo makes it to his parents' house, to his mom's house, to the funeral. He missed the funeral. Turns out mom, oh, wait, he has sex with his childhood crush and kills her in the process by shooting through the condom. Um, and then turns out mom is alive. Uh, and, um, he goes to this attic. There's a penis in the attic. It's his dad. Uh, he finally kills his mom, but then he gets on a boat to escape. Turns out he doesn't escape. It's this big, he's in this big coliseum where he's on trial for like whether or not he loved his mom. And then he dies at the end. Very nice. That is a pretty good summary of what happened. I don't really have any objections. You basically nailed it. Peter. Cool. Happy with it. Okay. Well, we can get into it now. We have our uh, full discussion. So, um, did you guys have a favorite part? I I do. I, I, I do too. Okay, actually, so let's hear it. I um, I actually quite enjoy the theater thing. The whole like the play. I that was the first part of that movie where I was like, okay, I kind of like this. Up until that point, I was like really like, come on, like like let's just like do something interesting. Like come on. Um, but yeah, I thought that I actually thought it was really interesting that. You know, it starts off as the story that's like, okay, that isn't what we've seen. Like, we haven't seen him go off and find a village, and it's his village, and he gets a family. But then there are details that do relate. I liked that it, like, interwove, and I liked that it, like, kind of flipped time on its head, too. Like, certain events within the play happen in a different order than we've actually seen them happen. And, like, 
to me, it's one of the most engaging parts of the movie because I don't really know what it means. And like, that's something that I would have to like think about. Like, that's something I'd go back to the movie to look at for. Um, whereas other parts, it's like, even if I don't know exactly what he's getting at, I feel like I have a vague sense and it's not as interesting to me. Um, so that was like definitely, and I was also just happy to get out of the surgeon's house because I was very sick of that uh, by that point. No, I yeah. agree. Um, like the play definitely, like I think to me as well, um, to me as well, the play is like the first time where the plot structurally made sense. It's like one coherent thing within the play. And then the art style, the narration's all done very nicely. And then yeah. uh, the final product of the play, you know, with the little sort of animated cartoonish background and Bo walking through it is also really pretty. And then the way the play sort of um, gave like a fantasized version of Bo's life, what Bo's life could have been maybe. It's like, what yeah. if like he has... And then I really loved like at the end, they sort of question, the Bo sort of questions like, but I can't have kids. Like, I, you know, I was told that if I you know, have sex with a woman, I would die, you know? Um, so, like, that sort of... And that is where we sort of pull back into reality. I really like, like, how we got into the play and how we got out of the play. Like, that entire sequence is beautifully done, in my opinion. So, I agree. Yeah, it's um, it's a very visually striking uh, sequence. I, I like that they do, like, a combination of art styles. Like, there was claymation mm -hmm. in there. There was, like... Like hand there's drawn hand drawn animation, yeah. Like crayon, like they was all over the place. It was really neat. Um, I do think, like, yeah, I think it, I think what Peter said is right. I think it's like the life he could have led, but kind of like, like not a real life. It's very, um, it's almost biblical, like with the flood and all that. Yeah. And it's like, it's, um, I think, I think the idea is like it's just the more interesting life he could have led, as opposed to the very safe very boring life he actually leads so it's like this fantastical like what if scenario what if he did have these kids and um yeah i mean uh, the only thing I, I took issue with that in that sequence is it like everything else it goes on forever and i'm like okay. it is long so yeah i and then i'll also actually add on that i think yeah, the, it's a life, what's interesting is that it's like a life he could have if he was someone who could make a choice, who could set off on his own if he went off and he broke the chain that was holding him back, which is like his mom. This is the life that he could potentially have. And I think what's interesting is that even in this thing that he's fantasizing, because I think this is a moment where it's like, okay, he's he's kind of fantasizing. Like, this isn't happening because it's like he's watching it play and this is what he sees. But... Um, and I think it's interesting that even in his real, even in this fantasy, like things still go completely wrong and like his fears still wind up being realized. Like it's still a story that spirals out of control and leaves him ultimately unsatisfied, which I think speaks to like how this character really has like no grip on how to live a life. And like he, he kind of has no hope in going forward cause he's just not equipped to deal with anything. And so I, I think like, yeah, to me, this is one of the most interesting parts of the movie. And even though it is long, I actually, this is one of the seg segments that I was fine with going on longer. There are other parts where I was like, oh my God, but this part I was fine with. Yeah, I'm curious about how your takes on the, like, you know how like it started with, you know, uh, you you have land, you've made a living off the land, you have family, etc. And then up until the separation point like where the flood happens and then he's separated with the family and then he goes on this quest to find his family again. What, how do you guys interpret that quest? 
Like what what is that? What does that mean? How does it relate to both current life? Like is this? Yeah, that's um, I think I think two things pop into my head. One, it reflects the journey he's currently going on in the rest of the movie. Like he's on a quest to go to his mom's uh, funeral. Um, so like I think there is that kind of like quest mirroring, and maybe the other thing is like. It provides a reason for like, like it matches his current circumstance of having no family, but instead of him just having no family, it's no, my family is out there. I just have right. to find them. They exist. It gives him a purpose which he doesn't have. It gives purpose yeah. to the same yeah. situation he's already in. Exactly. Yeah. That's that's just something that's off the cuff, but yeah. Cool. Yeah, I, okay. I think that's interesting. Yeah. yeah, I agree. Anything else we want to discuss about this sequence? No, that's pretty much it for me. I I, like what are your though, What yeah. are your favorite parts? Because that that's that is the most standout thing for me. Almost everything else, it's the thing that I just liked had the no, most net positive reaction to. Whereas almost everything else was either a mixed bag or a net negative. Yeah, uh, Peter, what was your favorite part? I have like small sequences that I really enjoyed. Sure. So okay, start with one and we'll. Yeah, I know you hated the surgeon house, Aiden, but I'm gonna start with the surgeon house. So there is. I didn't hate it. There are things I like about it, but yeah, it's long. You said it was too long. You want to get out of there? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, There's this one sequence I really enjoy where uh, uh, the lady of the house, uh, what's her name? I forgot. (laughs) Amy Ryan's character. I forgot her name. Yeah, we're in Game of Thrones. The lady <laughs> yeah. But a- a- Amy uh, Ryan's character, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so so Amy's, char- Amy, Amy's character, uh, there's this one sequence where Bo just, like, you know, uh, I think he got drugged the previous night. He just woke up. He's on the couch. Uh, yeah. And then she reached out to him. It's like, hey, this is the TV remote. Watch some TV. Go to channel, blah, blah, blah. And then, go to Channel 78. So he, w- he, he, went on the, he went on Channel 78, and then he sort of... He's able to flash forward and um, fast forward or like go back, and that actually represents like uh, future scenarios that the movie will actually get into. It's actually really cool to see. Like we get a glimpse of where the movie is going, but then we have no context of how he's gonna get there. So it's like, oh, he's on a boat. Oh, he's like sitting in this really luxurious house. Like, what is gonna happen? I know it might be kind of cheap because like definitely other movies have done it, but I just really appreciate it. It's like we get a glimpse of the future without knowing what it actually means and then able to connect back to this moment once we see these future scenes on the screen. But no, my point, my point does not disagree with you. It's that at this point in the movie, I was very bored and wanted to and had to go to the bathroom. And so I got up and went to the bathroom both to pee and check the time. And much to my dismay, this was only like an hour in. And I was like, there's no way this is only an hour in. Um, uh, but yeah, I missed that. I actually didn't see that at all. I didn't see the TV thing is what I I completely missed that. Yeah, it was, it's very like, it reminds me of Truman show. Basically it turns out like there's cameras in the house and it's been recording him, I guess the whole time is the implication, but also like nothing comes of it. Like it's, it's a very one and done because you miss that scene and then nothing happens. Right. Like there was... There was no like, oh, I'm missing, I'm missing some context here because it doesn't, it doesn't apply. The fact that he's been watched. Well, it ties into the end. To the ve- like the the trial. Oh, the trial? No, 
right before th- this is actually uh like a, about a different point i have that this is my okay. the same ending point but we can do you want to yeah let's we, I don't, let's let's get let's finish favorite parts though yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. um yeah i don't i don't think that was a favorite part for me definitely it was like i i understand what you're doing okay you're skipping because he skips forward quite a bit and it's like you see flashes of moments and it's like i'm like okay it's that's the end of the movie sure Okay, whatever. Um, one of my favorite parts was a little cameo. Did you guys catch the cameo? Is it Bill Hader? As it's the Bill UPS Hader. <laughs> <laughs> when that happened, I was like, is that fucking Bill Hader? <laughs> He's the UPS guy who calls yeah. um, Bo to tell him his mom died. And it's mostly over the phone. And I think, I, don't, I didn't clock it, but I was like, that voice sounds so familiar. And then there's one shot... Of him, yeah. it, was it on like the TV or something? It's on the news, and his back yeah, is turned news. to the camera. It's <laughs> so funny because yeah. you can't see his face. Yeah. Like you see like a sliver, and it was enough where I was like, "That's Bill Hader." That's uh, crazy. Great moment. That was that one was of my funny. favorite moments of this entire movie. That's funny. Oh, I do actually want to say one of my favorite shots in the entire movie uh, is in the surgeon house sequence, and it's a shot that is high angle with. The dad on the left side of frame, Bo in bed with the mom, like, by his bedside. And so it's, like, the dad is, like, standing there in a very, like, dad pose, like, watching over them. And I thought it was a super expressive shot, like, showcasing this, like, family unit and how infantilized Bo is. And how, like, I almost thought, like, representative of, like, a situation he's very familiar with, with, like, a dad who is kind of always lurking because he thinks about his dad but like isn't really there and present with him whereas the mom is like like the one like kind of over caring i i thought it was a great shot and it holds on it for a while and i was like this is great it was one of the few times where we were holding on a shot and i was like yeah let's go <laughs> yeah is this but when uh he just woke up in the daughter's it's bed. right near the beginning yeah yeah i remember mm, i think i'm thinking of a different shot i remember a high angle shot of the room, but I think it was just him. I don't remember mm. the one where the the family, the parents are also. In it. It's the first time we see the surgeon. It's it's in that scene. Okay, cool. Um, I don't know, Peter. Did you have any other favorite parts you wanted to get I to? Have more favorites, uh, just okay. like small snippets, really. Um, so I thought it was really cool at the very end of the movie when the the bow flips, and then we we see the people on the stand start leaving. It's like exact mirror of my theater, like and what's yeah. happening in yeah. the theater yeah. itself. People started leaving. I was like, "Yo, this is not it, right?" Because like, they're still holding on the shot with the boats, you know, upside yeah. down, etc. I was like, "Something's gonna happen," and then so like I was like the one of the few people that stayed throughout the credits, and then until the you very did. end when like the actual credits started rolling. Like, come on, man, is that it? Yeah, I <laughs> but, actually I stayed but, for the entire. I agree I that that was, was a cool, cool. moment too, yeah, where cool. it actually there was something kind of freaky about like, like as they're moving out and then you see people in your theater getting out as well. Yeah, like it's that cool. that was actually a cool moment. I didn't think about that in a meta way. That is cool. I didn't. Yeah, but for me it was more like, I was at this point I was so done with this movie that I was begging <laughs> for it to be go. over. And then I like I saw that it's nothing's changing. Everyone's left the the image on the screen, and I I was like, okay, I gotta check. So I check on Google, and then it's like, yeah, nothing changes after that point. I was like, oh, okay, then I'm not staying. So, um, yeah, it wasn't for me. 
I guess, but yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, when it comes to one? comedy, though, um, I actually, like, the one moment where I genuinely laughed out loud was uh, when he was calling his mom after the incident. So he called and the UPI's guy picked up. He's like, oh, it must be the wrong number, blah, blah, blah. It, it was still very intense. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, yeah. did your mom die with a word? And then he called number again. UPI's like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was funny. That line cracked me up. That was yeah. hilarious. Um, while while we're in that, yeah. we might as well get into funny stuff now too. Where it's sure, like, sure. what are like this is a comedy. Like, what are the moments that you genuinely thought were funny? And I'll say one of the funniest moments to me was just an insert, and it was of the food he's eating, and it's like the best of Ireland and Hawaii. And Hawaii. And yeah. <laughs> no, 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 that that was hilarious. That was and that, I actually laughed out loud for that. Um, there are a few others too, but I'm kind of blanking on them. What, what about you guys? Yeah, for me, like. Comedy was really strange in this movie because I think nobody knew if they should be laughing or not, and there wasn't mm. a whole lot of people there. And Peter's giving me a thumbs up, indicating that he too felt this experience separately. Um, but it was very, like, it was very awkward. Just a very quiet theater, and I, I think the volume of the movie wasn't loud enough. I, this is a problem I have with theaters generally. But um, one moment that I found hysterical. Uh, was like, like okay. So this was a moment that I found funny, and then because it was so quiet, I was stifling my laughter, and it gave me like intense deja vu to when um, I watched Avatar under the influence, <laughs> um, and like, <laughs> like high as fuck, um, and it was just like the weirdest thing because I was stone cold sober, but because I was like trying not to laugh but laughing like that made it funnier and yeah. so it's like when you get like the giggles or whatever you know and the the moment was when we're looking at mona um Bo's mom and she's explaining how his father died and it's like very dark and it's like lights are changing across her face red oh, green, yeah. blue and she's just yeah. explaining how, how he like like came into her, I guess, yeah. and died, and I was finding that so funny, and no one else was laughing. It was <laughs> That was most of the I, movie. It was very awkward. I was I actually in a lively laughing. theater. My theater was laughing constantly, and I was same, actually, same, I, I had the inverse thing where I was just there like, oh, that's not that funny. Right? I didn't find yeah. most things that funny. I agree. And and honestly, like I, one thing i got to say about this movie is, like, I was so tense throughout the whole movie. It was just like, if this moment was out of context, I'll probably find it really funny. But because of, like, what's what's happening in this movie, like, I find it difficult to, like, break out that, you know, the, 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 the tense atmosphere and laugh. And people around me were laughing. I was just like, yo, like, I, I want to make sure this guy's okay. <laughs> and I couldn't laugh for, for a lot of it, so... Did you guys think of any other specific funny moments? There was one I that I yeah. found like funny afterwards, but I didn't laugh during, in the theater. Like I like I was on the on the on the edge on the precipice of laughing, but I didn't I didn't uh, I didn't actually laugh. laugh. <laughs> but it was Did when like uh, it? it was when uh, I think Roger no not Roger like the the army guy was going crazy in the house yeah. and then. Both the wife and the husband were like, "No, no, no! He still loves you." And while stabbing, uh, while trying to sedate him with the, with the needles, mm. I thought that was really yeah. funny. But I only found it funny afterwards. Like in the moment, I was like, "Oh my god, this is so intense!" Bo, are you okay? 
yeah, I, there was. I liked the idea of like the wide shots when um, Bo is on the phone with somebody, and then just like the guys going crazy in the background, <laughs> running the around, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. and yeah. like going into the pool and stuff. Like I found that kind of like I was like, oh, that is funny. But like from an intellectual standpoint, it didn't make me yeah. laugh, which no, is unfortunate. I, I had that same experience where I was like, okay, I get the joke there. And I think that this is executed pretty well. But something yeah. like, there's something about the general tone of this movie and Ari Aster in general. I feel this in all of his movies where it's like. It's hard to laugh. I don't, it, no, where it's like he does something and I don't necessarily think it's bad. But just something about the way it's presented, something about the tone just like stops me from getting there and actually like liking it i agree it. i agree i had a similar experience and i i couldn't yeah. really put my finger on what that is but i felt it immediately in this movie where i was just like yeah. like from the beginning of this movie i was already kind of against it and yeah. but and, i i do want to say sorry you go peter sorry is it connected like i have a different point. My, mine is kind of jumping to a different point yeah okay so Somebody go. I, we we've all seen sorry to bother you right yeah so you know how like in Sorry to yeah. Bother You, sorry, spoilers, um, in the third act, how have like, you? you know, have you, have, has yeah. Alex? Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. Okay, okay. Uh, so like in the third act, you know how like when they were in Army Hammer's mansion, there was like a yeah. horseman reveal? Yeah. Uh, like I found that really bizarre and funny. Like at first I was like, oh my God, it's actually horses. Um, and then in this one, the huge penis in the attic, mm-hmm. when that reveal, I was just like, that is, this is the weirdest fucking thing I've ever seen. Like just similarly like really surreal creatures or like um yeah. like uh like think like reveal one in sorry to bother you i found really weird and wacky and funny but in this one it's just like i'm just completely yeah. taken aback this is so strange you know i only got the weird part not the funny part so i i have two points that are kind of in different directions but just specifically um responding to that like that was a moment where i kind of rolled my eyes And it kind of, this ties into my point of, is this movie doing too much? And so this is a broader problem that I have across Ari Aster movies where I feel this strongly about both Hereditary and Midsummer that a lot of stuff just happens for shock value and people don't recognize, people treat it like it's like an incredibly like deeper thing. And, like, there's more going on than just we're going to try to put the wackiest thing we can in this movie. I felt that with both Hereditary and Midsummer, And I felt that with this movie a bit, too. And I think The Penis was an example of that. And then, but this movie, in some ways, I thought handled it better. So one of the examples of when he's first on the phone and he first, and we get the, like, fucking 10-minute phone call where we learn that the mom is dead. Oh, my God, that was long. Holy shit. (laughs) That is such a long phone call. But... Um, when we get on, when we're having that phone call and it's revealed that like a chandelier fell and she got decapitated, I also like rolled my eyes at that moment because I was like, really? Like she, like she had to die in like this completely brutal way. But then I was thinking about it more and I was like, okay, well it's an astronomically uncommon thing that could happen, right? Like it's, Mm -hmm. it's almost, this would never happen. And so it's almost like the mom is doing this on purpose because she knows that it's a realization of Bo's like worst and most hysterical uh, like anxieties and fears like come to life. Like Bo is someone who constantly worries about things that have an astronomically low chance of happening. So by her dying in that way, it's like a specifically tailored way of getting at him. But I still felt that throughout the movie, I was like, 
this is just you're doing this just to be wacky. I don't know. What do you yeah. guys think? Um, I think the chandelier thing. I I kind of like there was parts of that that I found funny. First of all, being when Bill Hader is describing over the phone, like like this thing that has happened, and it's it's astronomically like improbable, but also like. Man, there's like her whole face is gone. Like she has no head. Like yeah. just kind of like the worst possible scenario. She didn't just die. Her head was yeah. crushed. Is just kind of like that hyperbole is kind of funny to me. And then when they cut to it later, like at the at the, her home, and there's the placard that says, "This is where the chandelier fell," and she that died. And there's like the yeah. hole in the floor. I found that pretty funny. But um, the penis monster thing, I definitely did roll my eyes because this ties to my point that I do want to save just so we can get to Peter's first. But this, like, okay, of course it's a, a giant penis. Like, this whole movie is just so Freudian. And it's like, really? We're just going to, like, we're, we've gone so yeah. far. Like, now we're just doing giant penises. Okay. Yeah, I. What? it's like, okay, I get he has, like, repe- repressed sexuality, so the giant penis has been tucked away in the attic. Like, and it's really scary, you know? Like, yeah. Okay, okay, you know? I will say, though, that before he shines the light on it, and you just see, like, the faint blob of something, that scared mm-hmm. me a little bit. I don't like, like, faint... Ariaster loves that. I don't he like faint that. shapes in the darkness. That's, that's something that'll freak me out. Uh, let us get into peter's question so peter you have a question for us yes what happened in this movie i i'm (laughs) very interested in uh in your takes on the plot and i have my own take but uh very interested in hearing what you guys think i don't think there's i don't think it's that deep i think what happens is pretty like like what's there is what happens I, i agree i can take a shot at it so um this is basically our synopsis take two, but um, Bo is living in Crime City and he's just like living with anxiety because he had a an overbearing parent. And so he just kind of like lives in this world where like the worst things are happening. So everything is exaggerated. Everything is up to 11 uh, to quote Spinal Tap. <laughs> um, uh, so like... Yeah, basically, worst worst things are happening at all possible moments, and then he um, he's supposed to visit his mother, but because he has these like repressed feelings of anger and distaste for his mother, he doesn't want to go, and you know circumstances happen that mean he can't go. Whether or not those were real events or orchestrated by himself, um, in this kind of like surreal version, is who's to say? But. Uh, he he decides that he can't go, as ultimately what happens. Things happen, and he says, "Oh, I can't go see my mom because X, Y, Z." Um, and she, you know, because she wants to see him, uh, she creates this like reason where he would have to come see her. So she fakes, she stages her own death, uh, assuming you you believe that she is still alive, and I, I think that tracks. So she stages her own death so that there's a reason why he has to go home. But even that isn't enough. So he, um, you know, gets into a car accident, which probably happens. But then he's just like so reluctant to go to that house that everything is taking so much longer than it should. He's getting sidetracked. He's like just kind of like accepting like reasons not to go or like, 
yeah, just diversions and stuff like that because he just like does not want to go see his mom and also probably doesn't want to like admit that she's dead, which is like another one of those Freudian things. Like you don't want to lose your mom. It's the anxiety of separation from your mother. So um, yeah, so he's stuck with the surgeon for a while and then he escapes and then he's in the forest I'd like I I would just take all of those things as like that happened. I wouldn't like say like yeah. I don't know. This is a dream. Like no, I think just in this surreal world, yeah, sure that happened. Um it's only like when he gets to the stage play and he envisions this world like that is a dream. That is very clearly a dream sequence. Um and then it cuts back. He's still at the play. Uh and then he hitchhikes finally gets to his mom's place. Uh, again, this is like surreal. So like, a lot of like weird things happen, but those are what happens. So he, the the girl he had a crush on from like a cruise, I guess, ages ago, uh, does work for his mom. Does show up. He does have sex with her, and she does die. <laughs> and then yeah. uh, he kills his mom because she's yelling at him. And also at some point. I think his name is Jeeves. The army guy dies from the penis monster. Like literally, like yeah. what happens yeah. happens. I'm just describing what happens again, so I'll stop. But you know, Aiden, any yeah counter ideas? No, I agree with what you're saying, but there are just a few things. That, and then I think towards the end, it's like, okay, he's killed his mom, and so theoretically, he can ex- he can now actually set out on his own. His mom is this oppressive force in his life that keeps him chained. And so now he can set off on his own. This is represented by he takes a boat out to sea, right? Like he goes into a creek and now it's an ocean. Uh, But turns out he can't. And I take that as because like, again, like he is just not equipped for this at all. Like it's, it's almost like it's too late. Like it's too late for Bo to take action and do anything. Um, And like the mom is like set her claws in so much. And I also think that it's like, because his sense of worth is based off of his mom. Like, his guilt is taken over, and so it's like he can't move forward because because uh, he has to, like, prove he loved her. Like, at the moment he kills her, it's like, oh, I didn't love her, everything is my fault. He's been taught that everything is his fault by his mother. We see that in flashbacks, and so I think that's the whole trial thing at the end. Uh, and then I also want to add in that, like, everything was orchestrated by the mom. I don't know if you guys noticed this. The surgeon is an employee of the mom, in the, oh, even the surgeon is okay. yes in the pointillism picture of the mom that we see in the insert that reveals that parker posey well it's not a reveal we already knew this but parker posey's character is a, an employee a few pictures above and to the right is the surgeon that's and so wild. he also that's and insane. so that's that ties into the camera thing it ties into like the stop incriminating yourself note and then also okay. his therapist from the beginning works for the mom too and that so yeah yeah I'll get into, I'll let you go, Alex, but that, that ties into my same ending point, And I, we're at a point where I have to say it, but you go, Alex. Sure. Um, yeah, I was just going to add on like, yeah, the, the trial at the end is like the manifestation of his guilt, um, for yeah. killing his mom, but also just like everything he's ever done and like some like core memories show up. So like when he's hiding from his mom, um, and I like that. Like, he has, like, this defense attorney, like, like the really cheap ones, the 1-800 yeah. defense attorney, but it's so quiet because it's his own voice of, like, defense is there, yeah. but then it's, like, killed because it's just not strong enough. His own, I guess, yeah, like, self-worth and 
like belief in himself just is not developed enough because the voice of his mother has always been stronger and the vo um like like the voice of his mother is represented in his own mind by her attorney uh, richard kind um and like that's that is technically like himself arguing on behalf of his mother it's like his two like yeah. devil angel on a shoulder type thing and just like he just kind of like dies because um he just feels ridden with guilt for everything he's ever done and i mean especially killing his mom but yeah yeah um i will say also like the scene when he's just killed his mom and it's a wide shot and he's walking away from the house before he goes to the boat like joaquin phoenix has like the funniest face he's just like <laughs> <laughs> like yeah. wide-eyed yeah. just kind of like frozen but like like in a really goofy way i find that pretty funny um okay. so i have two particular points i want to ask you guys about so go sure. for it one one of them is so like my interpretation of the movie for at least like before we got to the play is really like it's a montage of the worst possible scenario you know you left your door open you left the key at the door you lost the luggage and you lost the key you know <clears throat> You, your apartment, you can't lock your apartment because, you know, you, you lost the keys. And then a bunch of homeless people or, like, random guys rush into your apartment and trash the place. Like, it seems like, like, at least for the beginning of the movie, it's really just montage of what the worst possible thing can happen in that scenario, one after another. And, like, I thought that was what the movie is about. It's, like, just showcasing this guy's life. If it's everything in his life, it's just, you know anxiety uh, is the worst possible scenario and also um sort of praise on his anxiety like what what is what are you guys take on the uh the sort of crazy surreal sequences at the beginning uh where, yeah like you know there's people getting stabbed on the street you know uh, there's like people with guns etc yeah i mean i like mm -hmm. i i wrote this in our notes too is that like his mom was incredibly oppressive and coercive as a kid. And so his experience of reality is that everything is oppressive and coercive. Like, I think that, like, you know, even before we see all the guns and people, like, he walks by and there's, like, a, an AR-15, uh, like, booth or whatever just yeah. on the sidewalk. Um, and I think it's, like, it's this idea of, like, everything makes him so anxious and so afraid that it's like what I said, like everything's turned up to 11 because he's constantly in fear of the worst thing that could happen. And so he just lives in fear. Yeah. And I, I think the best example of that, that's like actually like super realistic is when after he's lost his keys and he needs to get the water and he's panicking, like, first of all, he's panicking, like, oh my God, what happens if I don't take it with water? You have to take it with water. Yeah. Like, that's an example of, like, heightened reality because, like, first of all, I don't think there's medication where it's, like, that desperate, but then the water shut off. Then he has to go across the street, but he has no keys. And he's like, oh my God, I need to get water. And he's, like, super panicked. And then he decides to prop the door open with a book. And this is the part that I think is so great. Like, he knows he shouldn't I do love it, but he moment, like yeah. he kind of has to. And then he's like in the shop, and he keeps looking back, and the, everyone in the street is entering the building because that's what yeah. like that's what anxiety does. And so I think that was actually like a really good manifestation of that internal struggle. So I that's that's an example of like good job, Ari Aster. You did something yeah. right in this movie. I also I love the way that 
moment builds actually how it's like a couple yeah. people are kind of walking in and then we see a few more and then like it's like this There's comically large more. crowd yeah. and that uh, that that movie reminded me i've actually only seen like 30 minutes of the movie but it reminded me of the movie mother like that specific uh mm-hmm. yes specific scene yeah. Well. I remember um, that, yeah but I've, yeah i've only seen part of that movie but, um like do you guys think like this is manifestation like just mentally he's his mental uh, conditions making it worse or did this actually happen and it's i don't think it matters prove, prove yeah point it's here. it's the this is a surrealist world where mm-hmm. the things that are happening are technically happening because they also drive the plot so they couldn't have not happened but the reason why it's a surreal world is because of his anxiety yeah. yeah and his perception of the world is the world we see so i just take everything at face value like yes this happened because if it didn't like there's no story you right know? so yeah does that kind of no, I, I see it the question, same way Peter? yeah yeah that makes sense okay i have two more small points oh one is okay. on the uh, the teenage daughter mm-hmm. why does she drink paint she well, sort of explained it in a way that's like, no one cares about me. They'd rather adopt you than care about me. So is it just like a neglected child in the in the family that can't move on from trauma? Like, yeah, it, uh... I yeah, I think it ties into like like a lot of this movie. Um, and this is another point I have. Like it's about like the things that like what growing up does to you and like how your parents treat you and how like how that like affects you as you go forward and i think yeah it's just another reflection of like Bo felt like over overbeared by his mother and she feels like underbeared she's she's underbeared by her mother yeah. by her parents um and I, I think it's just showing another side of that alex what are you gonna no i was gonna say the exact same thing she's the inverse of Bo, yeah. which is why them coming at odds is really interesting he kind of fills the same role that her brother had before he passed away. Uh, clearly, he was the favorite child, and I don't, well, I'll, you know, hard to say if he was being overbeared, but Bo is even in when he arrives to this family, right? Like, like Aiden said earlier, like the mom is coddling him, um, and then the the sister is Tony is like like hates that, and she's the complete opposite. She acts out. She like tries to get him to do like drugs and stuff like that because she never received any of that attention or that love. So she's always doing these um, things for attention, right? So she's like, I'm going to paint the walls of this room that they treasure so so much um, so that they like even get mad at me. And then she decides like for attention, she's going to kill herself. Um, Yeah. She, she wants attention. Whereas Bo wants to shrink into the back. Like they're, yeah, yeah, they're they're like, yeah. It, it, he, she, she challenges him in a in yeah. a way, yeah, 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 because yeah. she's the opposite. That makes sense. Okay, one last one? little point. Here you go. Okay. Uh, when we're in the the mom's house, uh, Bo walks down to the basement, and we see it's this sort of like, I guess like the the accomplishment of the mother throughout the years, and mm-hmm. we we learned that, like you said, Aiden, the uh, the the microwave. Uh, the, the microwave food he eats is from his mom's company. The condo he lives in is from his mom's company. Like, is there some significance there? Or is it just more of the, uh, you know, it's like everything in his life is touched by his mother type of thing? 
basically. Like, it's just like... Okay. His mother has always been providing for him, and she's still providing for him. She's providing the food. She's providing the shelter. Um, I also think it's funny that, like... What the, the idea that I get is that she has some amount of anxiety and then she passes it on to Bo mm. and her anxiety is really It's hereditary. Reflected. It's oh, <laughs> no. it's it's um it's reflected in the products her company makes. It's like um all of like the allergy relief uh stuff. It's like like uh the products are so, called like perfectly safe. Yeah, security. Um, yeah. Huge security, on security, you know, yeah. stuff like that. So, um, yeah, I, I thought that was kind of interesting, like, to show, like, she's anxious as well. And yeah. it's it's definitely reflected in different ways. But Yeah, and I think, like, what, another interesting part is when the mom says, she talks about how her mother showed her no love. And so she tried to, like, do the opposite with Bo, or she tried to, like, like really be overbearing and, like, lo- like love him to up to 11 again but because of the way she grew up she doesn't know how to do that and so like she doesn't know how to love and she doesn't know how to accept love from Bo either so it's always this like transactional coercive thing and like I think that's an interesting idea of like how like anxieties are passed down and to get into a point this is largely what hereditary is about this point of like like things that you can't escape how like traumas passed down how like uh inabilities to deal with different things are passed down like that that's like a big part of hereditary and that among many other things is some of the similarities that i saw between hereditary and this and that's why i was calling this hereditary too so like there's also decapitation as a theme which is a big theme in hereditary as well um there's also the fact that uh so i'll get into this now where in every single Ari Aster movie, the characters are trying to escape this exter- external oppressive force that is, in the end, revealed to be so all-encompassing and have their paws in everything and power everywhere to the point where the main characters can't do anything. And they never really had a chance to do anything. That is how literally every Ari Aster movie ends. And it like actually... like. When when I saw that the surgeon was one of the employees, I was also like, I audibly went like, no fucking way. Like, <laughs> no way. And so, and then when the therapist came out as well, I was like, oh my God. Because like, at the, at the end of both, okay, spoiler for Hereditary. So, okay, it's pew pew, spoiler actually, for Hereditary. I, I, I'm actually, I'm more curious how this relates to Midsommar, because I know a little more about Midsommar than uh, Hereditary. At the end of both movies, I was like, mm-hmm. oh, okay, it's like a cult. And, like, that's less hidden in Midsummer. Like, it's pretty clear that that's what's going on the entire time in Midsummer. But, mm-hmm. like, again, like, the ending is just, like, the characters have no power. They either have to die or assimilate into whatever the oppressive, horrible force is. Like, that happens in every single one of his movies. Um, mm-hmm. Like, and they have to like sublimate themselves, and they can't—they can't exist at the same time as this thing, and they're weak in comparison to all of the auxiliary forces in their lives. And I just can thought, you, like, I thought that was really frustrating how they did it again. Can you explain this in the context of Midsummer? Because I thought, like, in Midsummer, like, yeah, 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 it's yeah. like a breakup movie that 
yeah. from the beginning, they have been pining after Danny. They specifically want Danny to come onto the trip. They want Danny there. They are grooming her to become the May Queen without her realizing it. And so she fall. They take advantage Gosh, of the right. fact that yeah, she yeah, recently yeah. broke up with her boyfriend and is yearning, and her family died. So she's yearning for a new family. They take advantage of that and induct her into their family without her knowing it. And by the end of it, she has no choice but to accept it because she's cut off from everything that isn't like this. And so it's like a she assimilates into the thing. And like it's just like come on, like this this like come on, dude. Like, I actually got really frustrated with this in the theater. How it was like, like, this is the same thing, brother. So why did Bo die at the end then? Because technically that external force is gone, right? Because he killed him. No, because he can't escape it. He can't, es- he can't escape oh, how, how ingrained yeah. his, mom, his mom's influence is into him. And like you said, like, again, his sense, sense of self-worth is so dependent on how much worth his mom would allot him. And so, like, with mom gone, he has, he doesn't know what to do, he feels overwhelming guilt, and he's literally stuck in the mud. Like, his feet are fused to the bone, he can't move. And that's how he dies. He's stuck in indecision because he doesn't know how to make decisions. And the oppressive force wins. That's, that's like... Yeah, that's, ex- that's exactly Midsummer. She's stuck in the chair. The oppressive yeah. force have covered her in flowers, and they've won. It's yeah no I'm starting to see it I haven't seen Hereditary so I I can't I don't you'll, have all... when you watch Hereditary you'll it's the same thing yeah um, I can talk about though um, what I what I see this movie as um, and I'm, there might be connections to the Ariaster thing but I at some point during the movie I was like oh this is Freud's version of the fifty year old virgin it's usually, it's the forty year old virgin Steve Carell's yeah. but Joaquin Phoenix yeah. is a little bit older I think. Uh, I actually don't know how old he is. That was a guess. Um, I have a book about anxiety, and I was, I've was i got, like, maybe... I'm nowhere near the end. Like, I, I read that so slowly, but, um, like, I feel like Ari Aster just adapted that book, like, of just, like, medical terminology and, like, musings that's, like, basically... Like, more thesis than anything mm-hmm. else, and he just made that into a movie. Like, there's... It's really just, like... Like, this movie is basically a description of the, what it's, what anxiety is. And, like, it's most, at its most, like, Freudian version, which is the, like, very overbearing mother, like, to a surrealist extent, you know? So Mm -hmm. she's, like, like, really actually in control of everything. And then, you know, the idea of, like, there's this thing, like, like I just started reading it again, and there was a part that's, like, like the fear, the, pr- the most primal anxiety is the loss of the mother, because as, a, as an infant, you need the mother to survive, and so that's where that stems from. And it's clear, like, that's a big part of it, and then it's, like, the whole Oedipus complex is kind of in here, where he doesn't, mm-hmm. like, explicitly want to fuck his mom, but he's fucking the girl... And his mom is there. And then there's the whole idea that he won't have sex with anyone because his mom told him not to. Like, it's just like, like, there's like, that's all this movie is, is a, is description of like an outdated too idea of what this mental illness is. 
And it's it's really frustrating because there's not a, a lot other than that in this movie. It's just a thesis, basically. I do disagree with that. Wait, sorry. Before we move on to your point, Alex, do you mind explaining the the whole uh, theory of fraud? Freudian? Freudian? Freud. 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 Um, what what is what, what what is he preaching? I mean, I kind of described it, but like this is like I barely know it, but um, it's like everything stems from sexual repression that like you develop as a child, right? Like it's re- yeah, like right? Freud Freud thinks that. Like, Freud is from, like, a century ago. So, like, his ideas are not the modern thinking. But his... Like, I I remember reading something like, all male anxieties are relied to the fear of impotence. And, like, I think that's it. Or, um, no, what's the... Like, the word for losing your dick. Like, that's what he says male anxieties are. Castration. Castration. Thank you, yes. That's exactly what it is. It's the fear of castration is the, the main fear. He said, he described, there was a case where a boy was afraid of horses, and his explanation was the boy was afraid the horse was going to bite his dick off. And I was like, dude, like, what the fuck? I haven't read the whole book, so maybe there's, like, a, like maybe he's right, I don't know. But, like, that's basically, like, his, his, all of his ideas are trying to, like, it's, he tries to make, like, this interconnected theory where everything makes sense, and it's all tied to moms and penises. And that's what this movie is, moms and penises. And so it's 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 extremely Freudian in the sense like Bo is this character with anxiety and it's because his mother is overbearing and that has led to his sexual repression. Uh, and it's, yeah, it's a lot. Does that kind of Cole's notes it for you? That explains that. Okay, no, Aiden disagrees a little bit. I don't really, I don't have much to say. I just think, I think there is more. I agree that the movie is doing a lot of that, but I just think there is more going on because there are too many things that don't quite nicely fit into that. Like, yeah. Like? Oh, like, for example, like, okay, so, like, why does, and I know that you could, like, you might be able to fit in, but, like, why does Parker Posey die? Instead of, like, so it's set up that, like, he's going to die when he has sex and instead she dies. Like, why does that happen? And a lot of the stuff in the play, like, why does that specifically happen? Like, there's too many specific details. Um, like, the thing the thing with his dad, and I get that it's still related to that, but I just think that the movie is doing a little bit more than you're giving it credit for. Okay, like, I mean, why Parker Posey dies... Um... I don't know. It's easier. Like it, it, it allows the confrontation between just Bo and his mom. Like I think that's now we're just gonna tend into like what works best for the screenplay. So I don't. Like I said, I haven't read this whole book, so I don't really know all of it. But I just mean like, yeah. I don't. I don't. I'm not saying that like. There's. Ari Aster did something to adapt it, right? Like it's not just the theory on the screen like i whatever it's this is like you know Aiden, doesn't it also play into the freudian theory though because like it's him it's an act of defiance towards his mother and the act resulted in the consequence that you know he can't uh you know he can't he he well like it's it's it resulted in something bad right is that why that that is interesting too and it's also like like an inter like 
it's also interesting that it's not like self-focused like mm-hmm. it's it's about another person but i my yeah. point is not that my point is not that it doesn't it doesn't tie into what Alex was saying. I just think that there is a little more subtlety than that. Maybe I think, but I think what Peter's saying is right. Like, I think it's that idea that he's been told that to have sex with someone is like the worst possible thing that could happen. And so when he realizes that sex does not actually result in his death, something else terrible has to happen, right? Because he doesn't actually die. So then his brain has to go, wait, is everything I know a lie? And it goes, no, it's not a lie. Something else terrible happens. She dies. Sure. And so that's the next worst consequence. And then his mom but is there and, it, you know. Even that is like, like what you're describing is a more nuanced adaptation of the Okay, idea. okay. Like, like, like I'm, I'm making a generalization here. Yeah. But like, like that is, like, that's just my, I don't know, oversimplified view of what this sure. movie is, you know. Um we can talk about. Um, I don't do you know, want to move back about... to direction? Sure, let's do that. Um, Aiden, do you want to? What's? What do you think? So, yeah, I was gonna say this a while ago, uh, and I forgot about it. But there are definitely moments. I think there's good and good and bad directing here. There are things I like and don't like. I was gonna say when we were talking about the chaos in the street, there's a shot that, like. I think it's it's like trucking across the street and we're seeing like I don't know what Peter's doing. <laughs> and I'm we're so seeing... fascinated by the um <laughs> we have from Peter. What but is anyway, going on? we're seeing all the chaos and sue on the street, but the way the shot is, it's like nothing is really the focal point of the shot, and the way yeah. the characters are moving isn't doesn't really draw your eye. And it's also somewhat dark, so you can't quite mm-hmm. see what they're doing anyway. And it's like, there are a few moments like that where it's like, I get that in theory this shot is just to show like all the chaos of what's happening, but it's actually not really doing that. Yeah, no, I, I do agree. That one was, uh, the chaos shot was a bit chaotic and not a lot of focus. Uh, oh. I think a better version of that was the start. I actually did kind of like the shot where he's walking along like the mm-hmm. shops yeah. Um, I think that was a good version where I really liked when the shopkeeper like tilts up the the uh, glass window to get the sculpture. You see the reflection of the uh, person who's going to jump off the building and yeah. it directs your eye to that. And then we go to that thing and then the we like we never the camera never tilts up. We we're shown in in different ways. So then um uh, someone's like recording it on their phone and we see it on their phone instead of uh, the camera. So I thought that was pretty creative. Um, and the, oh, I guess other directing things, like I think we kind of mentioned this, but like there's some good wide shots, like, yeah. or um, use of like depth. So like we'll be focusing on what's happening with Bo, but other things are happening in the background that were kind of interesting, slightly humorous potentially, yeah. but uh I also say, like, within directing, like, I have a problem with... I felt like conversation scenes were almost always filmed in very similar ways. Like, there are so many scenes that play out, like... There are two different ones that I noticed where um, it's, like, an OTS full shot where, like, we hang on shot reverse of... It's over the shoulder, and the subject of it is completely is completely full. We see, like, most of them, and it's just cut back and forth between that. And then also shots where 
they're clean singles, but they're like wides, and we see them like in the context of the house, or like they're through a doorway or something, and we're just flopping back and forth between that. And at a certain point, I was just like, I I felt like a lot of things like could have been differentiated. A lot of I have a general problem of a lot of things feel the same in this movie, and it ties to my point of I feel like there are too many precious moments. Like there's too much of like. There's too much of sameness and not knowing, like, which moments are more important, which ones are emphasized in this way, mm-hmm. which ones don't need to be emphasized in that way. Um, I don't know. What do you think about that? Yeah, no, I definitely think that, um, like I said, like, the, the movie needed to be edited down because just some moments play out forever. Yeah. And they are not that important. Like the, yeah. Like, the scene where he's been forced to get high you get what's happening very quickly. And then they hold on it for like two minutes. And it's like, that's most of the movie, like very slow digital zooms in on not important moments or just like, like, like nothing is happening, but we're staying there. And it's, it's like fucking relentless. And maybe that was the intent. Like it's a, it's a surrealist nightmare. And you can say like, Oh, that was the artistic intent to make you feel like you're trapped and, watching something that is taking forever and i mean if that was the goal like you succeeded but was that really like the question i guess then is was that what this story needed was that yeah. does that best um does that best like push the story forward i guess and represent yeah. the story and i don't really think so like i think it was I just like I don't think so it made me exhausted really yeah um, and, and I think, I think like, especially in the beginning, there's tons of examples of that. There's, like, three slow push into character as as Bo is talking about something. And it's like, holy fuck. Like, and they're, like, not spaced out that much either. And it's just like, come on. Like, all of these moments are being treated as if they're the same level of importance. And there's no yeah. way that's true. Yeah. And, like, yeah, like, the first act, like, goes on forever. Just... I think yeah. everything just like get to the fucking point. So yeah, uh, Bo is afraid is just um, well, this is terrible. We're coming back from a break. Um, <laughs> Bo Bo's afraid. I think to summarize is just like I feel like Ari Aster is trying to say something that has been said in medical journals <laughs> and like old ones at that and. There's not, there's not, so like, not a lot going on here that is new, maybe. I but agree. also, um, doesn't do a great job of presenting the material either, due to some, uh, maybe overindulgence in particular, yeah. everything. But, uh, yeah, so we loved it. It was great. Yeah. Um, yeah. but Aiden, I think we have a segment we do. We sure do. Uh, so the movie, movie, podcast is called Predator versus Movies or Better versus Movies. Wow. <laughs> so we that, joke hasn't, that joke hasn't been released yet. That's a oh, joke shit. from the future. <laughs> they don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> forget that. Forget I said that. Um, You'll see, guys. Uh, so this, is the, this is the podcast where we uh, determine would the movie be better if the, <laughs> the Predator from the movie Predator was in it. <laughs> God. Be better. We asked the question: Would this movie be better if the predator from the movie Predator was in it? Uh, I would just think maybe. Um, I think I have a very strong opinion like, on this one. I yeah. think absolutely, 
there were so many scenes where just like background characters going crazy. Yeah. It, 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 we can totally just have, you know, like in the in, in the scene on the street, for example, the predator in the background is like <laughs> walking it's, around hunting folks. It's the surrealist nightmare of someone with anxiety. It's so easy. You just have an anxiety yeah. about aliens, like a, yeah. an alien hunter. Hunt, like hunting you like it and he, works for, random... and he works for the mom <laughs> you know yeah like it, it all works That's he's in clever. the little pictogram thing of like yeah yeah what did you call it it has a name i called it a pointillism picture that it, that's what pointillism? the technique is called right? okay i don't know i think I've, so i i, I could be wrong name. i thought that was called pointillism and I've, also i've seen him before but instead yes. of just a random guy hanging on his ceiling it's the predator. Oh, it's the predator. That would yeah. be good. When he was going in the shower. Yeah. Yeah. I think I would also like drive the thing. I guess Jeeves fills that role at one point, but yeah. Uh, good discussion on that. Uh, Peter, we have yep. another segment. We do. Predator's picks. Woo! Let's go. Predator's Pigs. Uh, what do you guys watch this past week? <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. Why don't we start with me? I'll just go first. I go don't usually it. go first, anyways. Go um, I watched uh, the first two episodes of Barry. I think that was the from this week. It seems like it. Um, Barry season four. That is. Uh, great show. Still love it. It's like, man, the show keeps getting like harder to watch. It's um, it's because like like it's just getting darker and darker. The first season is yeah. very like a very clear cut comedy. Um, not to say that it isn't still funny. It is funny, but the tone, the shift in tone over four seasons is crazy. Um, but I'm I'm still loving it. Bill Hader is like has just shown himself to be like a fantastic director. Um, so you guys, Wait, he also you, directs. So he acts. Yes, he and does. Directs. Yes, he does. Um, so All you guys four need, seasons. Uh, no, like it's like in most TV shows, like he switches like different directors for different episodes. Right. So he'll do a certain chunk. So he did the first two of this season. I don't know. I oh, don't think he directs amazing. the whole thing. Let me check. Oh my god. Yeah, but anyways, um, everybody should go check that out. You guys need to check that out. You too. I might, um, I might, I'm currently, I'm still knee deep in the wire. So once we, uh, uh, we'll see about that. Okay. I just checked and this season is rare in that it is entirely directed by Bill Hader where oh, really? every other, every other season has been directed by, um, a combination of people, but he, he definitely like, like last season he did, what is that? Six out of eight. So like mm. like he was increasing the number he was directing over time, um, but like man, the show is so good. Uh, I think this is new for this week. I watched The Exorcist. Um, oh yeah. I don't understand how people said this was the scariest film of all time, or that yeah. people was this the one where people were like freaking out in the theaters, like screenings, and yeah. like how. I've never How seen the whole that? thing, but from what I've seen, I'm also confused by it. Where it's like, I don't feel like it's that scary. It's not scary. It's yeah. funny sometimes. Uh, just like, because like the idea is like this little girl's possessed, and then she starts like cussing like a pirate yeah. or like a Manitoban. And I'm just like, <laughs> that is Tuesday? Like, no. Um, that's, like, I, I think it's maybe sensibilities. Like, it was very like, I don't know. 
inappropriate stuff going on in that movie for the 70s and so i guess that freaked people out but um it was like pretty good it was a it was a fine movie um there is a part of it where it's like like this kind of has to happen for the exorcist like just the what the plot is but like the medical science has to fail so that they turn to exorcism. And for me, that's the kind of thing where I'm just like rolling my eyes where they're like, the medical science isn't working. And like, I guess you could try exorcism. Like (laughs) maybe you just need faith in your life. And I'm like, Oh my God, shut the fuck up. Um, again, for this movie to exist, that it's a necessity that you have to just accept that religious stuff happens, but that's just hard for me specifically. Um, but yeah, like it was, a, it was a all right film. I also watched uh, as part of the trash cult uh, screenings at the local Cinematheque. They were doing Slumber Party Massacre one and two, very different movies. Um, the From first one, one is, yeah, which is very right. strange. So the first one is like, like a straight up just like slasher. Like guy breaks out of prison and is killing a bunch of teenage girls uh, who are having a slumber party. Like, very clear-cut, that's what it is. The second one is, like, like a direct sequel to that. Uh, one, one of the younger sisters in the first one grows up and is having a slumber party of her own, but instead of it being, like, a real killer, she's haunted by dreams of, of not even the same killer, but, like, a John Stamos slash John Travolta from Greece-esque rock and roll biker dude with a drill guitar like the drill is like <laughs> the power drill is the weapon in the first movie and then they decide to make it a power drill guitar and she is haunted by visions of this guy and then you That's know awesome. at the climactic point like he kills everybody and like this is barely a spoiler that's just what the movie is and yeah. it's just like really weird i actually Wait, struggled so it's his visions it's her vision becoming real like what happened i thought it was, well, like, i'm not head, gonna right? like i'm not gonna spoil the whole thing like that's pretty well like what the plot is so that's not spoilers i, I well whatever but um yeah. that's like brought into question is what is real what is fake for sure um but i actually it's funny because they have similar ratings on letterboxd uh one is 3.1 and the next is 3.0 I actually did enjoy the second one a little bit more because the first one's just kind of like boring. Like it's it's long and drawn out, like another film we just watched. Um, mm. And the second one is just so campy and silly. Like every time the guy, the guitar guy shows up, there's like, <laughs> like a like, guitar riff and like everything is like crazy and pumped up to 11. So it's kind of fun. Um, that is it for me. Uh, cool. Peter, what have you been checking out? That's so funny because you mentioned The Exorcist. Because <clears throat> I'm about to mention a movie where the main character thinks The Exorcist is the funniest movie of all time. Oh. Um, uh, sorry, not funniest. Shit. It's the scariest movie of all time. Um, uh, I would just watch Ghosted uh, yesterday. So yesterday I watched oh, three Oh, movies. I saw it in Letterboxd, yeah. I, oh, I really? watched, uh, I watched uh, Guardians 1. I watched uh, Bo, and I watched Ghosted, because I was like, dude, I can't let Bo be the final movie I see that day. And I was expecting Ghosted to be actually, like, a funny, lighthearted movie, but, oh my god, it was very lighthearted, sure, but it was not funny at all. It's actually, like, such a disappointment, because the trailer is, like, nice and fast-paced, like, you, 
like hear a bunch of jokes, see a bunch of like weird, you know, quirky action sequences between Chris Evans and Ana de Armas in like two minutes. And you're like, okay, this movie is fun. But then when you actually watch it, the sequences are much more drawn out. And because of that, they're just not funny at all. Um, Like, unfortunately, this is just like another instance where like you think it would work really well. Chris Evans is a very charming, charismatic guy. Anne de Armas, very pretty, charismatic actress, you know. Um, but, like, unfortunately, like, when you put these two together, things don't work out. It was zero chemistry between the two. Um, and the movie was not funny. The highlight of the movie was Adrian Brody, actually. Oh, yeah. I didn't even know he was in this movie, but he was great. Um, yeah, I give it a one star. It was... <laughs> do not recommend. <laughs> yeah. We were talking before the podcast about how we hate watching clips of movies before they, we see the movie, but I did actually see a clip of Ghosted on Twitter. Of them running it, up the stairs? Yeah, it looked, <laughs> and all the comments are like, it looks like they were not on set at the same time. Like, yeah. it feels like it's a green screen. It feels like that scene in Doctor Strange 2 when everyone is clearly yeah. in, the, when the chamber, when everyone's clearly not there and they're not talking to each other. But yeah, like, no, it looks bad. <laughs> Yeah, I can yeah. confirm. It is bad. Yeah, don't watch that. It's, and like, honestly, worse than a streaming service movie. Like, yeah. it is, And it it's, is a streaming service movie. Exactly. That um, is not surprising to me either. Like, you you told that to me, and I was like, yeah, that, that tracks. It looks bad. Um, yeah. Anyways, what else have you seen? Or is that it? I think that's it. Let me check my letterbox. I did not... I did watch snippets of the, the Mandel finale. Um, and... Um, they resolve some storylines in very unexciting ways. Yeah, I did. I read on Twitter that there's a storyline that is there's a problem that is brought up and solved within like 15 minutes. Well, within, within two episodes. So oh, okay. Like, do you guys mind if I like get into? I don't care. Spoilers? I do not care. I don't care. Okay, so like basically, remember there's like a whole cloning plot that's go- that's been going on. It's like oh, Moff Gideon wants Baby Yoda's sure. gene so he can clone some Force wielder. Actually, sure. in the end, he was just trying to clone himself, and then that didn't go anywhere because Din Djarin just blew everything up. So, nice. <laughs> yeah. cool. Very, awesome. yeah, very, At least very. It's, it's it's doing a better yeah. job than Mario did, which was setting up and resolving <laughs> conflict in a matter of in seconds. the same scene. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, uh, Aiden, what have you been watching, listening, reading? Uh, I've not watched, listened, read that much over the past week, uh, but I did. We, I did. We. <laughs> today. I got caught up between watch and read, and so I just said, "I did we. I did we. We. No, I know. I have been stop incriminating yourself. <laughs> to quote, Bo is afraid. <laughs> I, okay. <laughs> I have been um. Uh, so I've been continuing my watch through of David Lynch and Steven Spielberg, but this week I just did a David Lynch movie. I did Mulholland Drive, uh, which I gave five stars on Letterboxd. Um, this, uh, I thought this was a great movie. I thought this was like the perfect definition of like a slow burn movie that like, like exponentially ramps up. Um, I think that there is a certain, uh, uh, like plot thing that happens at the end of movies sometimes that I have never seen done well. It is almost always unsatisfying. Um, and this is like the only movie I've ever seen that has done it in a way that 
is satisfactory and also like thought provoking as well. And I think only Lynch could do it what uh, is that? because of like a specific trial. I have seen what? movies. What is what is that? The, uh, I don't know, Peter. Do you care if I spoil Mulholland Drive? The fact that it's all a dream. Okay. Yeah. Like I've never seen that done well, and it actually like because in David Lynch movies, like the line between reality, fantasy, and dream is always blurred. It works like incredibly well, and especially considering that even the last part of the movie, which is like what really happened, like it's it's reality because that is so dreamlike in and of itself. I think it works incredibly well. There's one shot that, like, I thought was just so incredible. Of it's like somewhat midway through the movie where it's uh it starts in close of it looks like someone's singing in a booth it looks like someone's singing potentially on stage and then we pull out and it turns looks turns out they're in a recording booth then we pull out more and no one's in the booth we pull it even more it turns out it's a movie set we pull out even more and like we see the whole context of the set and like i thought that was such a good encapsulation of like a lot of what the movie is like it's such such a great moment of visual storytelling um, yeah, I, I loved that movie. So awesome. that was, I, th- I thought it was awesome. So that was something I watched. I continued to watch The Wire. The Wire is still really great. Um, I watched the most recent episode I watched. I think I only watched one episode this week. Uh, and it was actually, I think it was like a particularly good one. One of the major characters died in it. Uh, one of my favorite characters. And it's, The Wire is kind of a show. It's one of the shows that like, to a certain extent, like no one is safe. Like, like main characters can die in the show. Um, the best type of shows, though. You know what I mean. Some sometimes I think the wire does it really well, um, and like, yeah, I thought like it's a really thematically driven show, and it like about showing parallels and mirrors and yeah. So I, the wire is still really great. I would recommend anyone check out the wire. Uh, and then the other thing I did, I I haven't talked about this right. I rewatched Nope. Was that this week? I haven't brought that up in the pod. No. I don't okay. think you. No, yeah, you have not. I don't <laughs> oh, remember because awesome. we've talked about it off air. I think. This. Right. Uh, yeah. So I rewatched the movie Nope, uh, and on rewatch, amazing movie, incredible, incredible movie. And I think like even the problems I had, which were towards the end, I didn't really understand what they were doing. I actually like found on second watch. I was like, oh no, it's actually like pretty clear what they're doing. The things that I thought were freaky were still super freaky, like the inside jean jacket and and the stuff when with the kid when the kids are messing with them in the beginning. It's like a really beautiful movie. Oh my there's the one shot of like when the blood is raining down on the house and it's a slow tilt up. Oh that's like there's some like incredible stuff in this movie. I think Daniel Kaluuya is great. Kiki Palmer is great. Yeah, I think it's a great movie. Um so yeah, that that's what I watched. Cool. Um, next week, uh, I have to deal with my dog. <laughs> <laughs> next week? Oh, what are we doing next week, Peter? I, oh, I think... Next week within, is Pipeline, no? Next week is Pipeline, yeah. We're, gonna, we're thinking about doing How to Blow Up a Pipeline for next week. Next week, we are, in fact, going to be doing How to Blow Up a Pipeline. Um, Dude, I thought you were going to say, one. next week, we are indeed going to blow up a pipeline. <laughs> next week, we are going to... No, we're going to get on a watch list. Um... Uh, but yeah, so that'll be good fun times. Uh, until the, no, I'm skipping ahead. If you like us, check us out on Instagram and Twitter at Predator V Movies. Uh, if you like my thoughts on movies, check me out on Letterboxd at underscore Alex Gordon underscore. I write reviews sometimes. 
Uh, you can also check me out on uh, Letterboxd. I, my name is 810sunny. That's 810-S-O-N-N-Y. My name is Wombo. I also leave reviews sometimes. Alex, I feel like you write... No, 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 sorry. Before we get to that, I feel like you write reviews all the time, though. You say sometimes. That's inaccurate. Not as much anymore. I don't write full reviews anymore. Or sometimes. Mm. Okay, okay. Peter, do you have anything to plug? I don't have anything to plug. You know what that means. What does it mean, Peter, actually? Let's let's let Peter tell it Leave a review on Spotify, on your preferred streaming platform. Leave a comment on YouTube. Tweet at us at Predator vs. Boomies. Um, what else? I think that's it. Like uh, us, follow us on Facebook. Uh, we don't like have, us up we don't on Vista. <laughs> Check out our MySpace. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you can follow us wait. on Napster as well. Uh, uh, we do have an account on the Jeremy Renner app. I'm not sure if that's still. <laughs> oh, <no>. Yeah, <laughs> um, I remember we did set that up, but there might be a resurgence considering like recent events with Jeremy yeah. Renner. Did you um, actually, wait. side note, piece of news we watched, the documentary that they were releasing on Jeremy, that is, like, literally, like, the boys, like, Vought Enterprises, yeah, like, yeah. happening in real life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, so, yeah, go do that. Tell tell your friends you like this show, and, yeah, get more people listening, basically, if yep. you like this show. Um, until next time, I'm Alex. I'm Peter. I'm Aiden. And this was Predator vs. Movies. Uh, thanks for coming out. Oh my god. Yo, Bo's afraid again. <laughs> nice. It's me, Bo.